Hello, and welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. If you don't want a cookie-cutter, generic home, and instead you want a beautiful, meaningful home that's layered with personality, then you are going to be so inspired by the conversations we have on this show. We talk about why the environments we create matter and how to set up our rooms to evoke specific feelings and experiences that are right for you wherever you are in your life right now. I'm Zandra, your host and creator of the Slow Style Home Framework that teaches you how to make really thoughtful and informed decisions about your home rather than chasing current trends that may not last or staying stuck with rooms you hate, feeling overwhelmed with too many choices. Right now, when you join our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, you'll get a personalized deep dive into your vision of what a dream home looks and feels like. And together, we'll come up with a plan on how to achieve that. If that sounds pretty awesome to you, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society for all of the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. Right now, let's just jump into today's episode. Hey there, are you ready? Are you ready? Because today is the day when you start figuring out how to create a home you love. Right now, with what you already have and in the home you are currently living in. I'm Zandra, your host of the Style Matters podcast, brought to you by Little Yellow Couch. And listen, I truly believe that you shouldn't put off living inside something beautiful and energizing and nurturing for some kind of imaginary perfect life that is somewhere in the future. You need those things right now. So for this show, we talk about how to create a home that feels meaningful and works beautifully. If you're listening because you're overwhelmed by conflicting advice and too many choices, or you're listening because you've never felt very creative when it comes to decor, or maybe you're here because you're just as obsessed with design as I am and you can't wait to dig into creating that beautiful home, welcome. This community of listeners is your people. You found us, and I am so glad you're here. Before we get on with it, before I introduce my next guest, I feel like David Letterman, uh, I want to let you know that we are going on a podcast break for the month of October. So we'll be back with all new interviews starting Monday, November 7th. But in the meantime, I still want to stay connected with you, and I still have a lot of insight, inspiration, tips I want to share with you. So if you haven't already, be sure you're signed up for the Little Yellow Couch newsletter. And there are definitely a few things you're not going to want to miss next month, including some new things that I'm putting out into the world that you might be interested in joining. So if you want to jump on those things a little early, then you got to get on the list. LittleYellowCouch.com. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a yellow button. It says free guide or free style guide, I forget which, Um, but it's where you can grab your free copy of of our worksheet on how to define your signature style. And once you do that, you'll be hearing from me on a regular basis all about home 
and design and ways in which to put it all into practice inside your own living space. Now, if your heart starts beating really fast at the sight of a yard sale sign, estate sale notice, or the prospect of a three-day antiques fair, you're going to love this episode. My guest is pro-thrifter extraordinaire Virginia Chomley and author of the new book, Big Thrift Energy, The Art and Thrill of Finding Vintage Treasures. If you've ever been intimidated by picking through shelf after shelf of junk with the hope of finding a diamond in the rough, Virginia is the guide you've been longing for. Her book is packed with insight on how to shop, how to discern if something is right for you, how to know how much to spend and when to walk away. We talk about all of that, plus talk about ways in which to mix all of your newfound treasures together in your home in a cohesive way. And if you're a veteran thrifter yourself, you're going to love connecting with someone who is as passionate as you are about the world of vintage. Here's Virginia. Virginia Shamley, welcome to the Style Matters podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We are going to talk about my favorite subject, which is mixing in old and new and learning how to thrift and vintage shop and antiques and all of that today. And you've written a really, really helpful book here. So I'm going to pull out some of the some of the really key things that I got out of your book. But I want to say to everyone just up front, there's a lot to this book, and we're not going to cover it all. So you still really <laughs> need to get your hands on it. Anyway, Virginia, um, right from the beginning, you have a very charming introduction. You compare shopping for vintage, like falling in love. And for me, it was like, especially that sort of high school first crush butterflies, obsessive daydreaming kind of love, which I totally relate to. So tell us a little bit about how you first came to be such a dedicated thrifter. And and then skipping all the way to the end of the book for just a second, I want you to share one or two stories about your best ever, most amazing scores. Sure. So I got really into vintage shopping and thrifting at a very young age. I was raised by my grandmother in Northeast Florida she was a single mom. I was an only child. So we were incredibly close, kind of did everything together, willingly yep. or unwillingly, you know, when you're young. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and she started a business buying and selling containers of furniture. So she, these were pieces that were lost in transit. They were new pieces huh. of furniture, but it got really popular. She would have almost like Tupperware parties. If you remember Tupperware, parties. Yes, but, the, but I'm it trying was to furniture. picture it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> and it was all over our lawn. And these were like designer pieces that were, you know, lost on their way to New York or something. So everyone in the neighborhood kind of went crazy for them. And it became really popular to the point that she started ordering these containers every few months and basically turned our living room into a store. And she eventually did get a store, a brick and mortar oh, thank goodness. store. Yes. But in the beginnings and in those early days, she didn't have, you know, a business license. She didn't have accounts yeah. at any of the big companies. And she wanted it to feel like a store with you know, accessories. So that's where the thrift store came in. She would go wow. thrifting for pillows and art and sculpture and smaller tables, all the little sort of pieces yeah. that make up a room and sort of right. bunch of personality. And because the furniture was so great and new and designer, she needed accessories that were sort of in that same vein. So she huh. was just really skilled at finding 
everything from, you know, a Chanel bag at an estate sale to, you know, a one of a kind art piece. And no one ever really knew it was, you know, thrifted. Wow. Because she was, I mean, her niche, I think was finding pieces that were kind of trendy, you know, yeah. everything current is rooted in something that's older. So, so she was sort of finding the original versions of things. And I think I just really soaked it up. I mean, I yeah. remember being so upset if she would find something on the side of the road or take me to a live auction. I hated live auctions when <laughs> I was younger. But then when I got older and got my first apartment and later my first home, it was like, oh yeah, well, I'll just go to the thrift store because that's right. where you can find the best stuff. And then I started sharing it on Instagram and it really resonated with people and then, you know, a few years ago, I thought, gosh, somebody should really write a book about this because I get <laughs> well, so many questions. Right. And what's, what's great about the book is that you, you grew up with this. So I think, like right. you said, you soaked it in. A lot of it is probably very instinctive to you. Yes. But for a lot of people, it isn't, and they're not, they've never even set foot in a thrift store until they're an adult or let alone gone, gone to one of a huge like Brimfield Antiques Fair right. type of thing. But you still are able to really kind of deconstruct, I guess, how you've done it and really lay it out for people who are, who are new to it. Um, But I have to say, as a person who's been doing this for a long time myself, there's still stuff I learned as well. So I just really appreciated how you were able to break things down. So, so let's get into that. You've divided the book into four main sections. And the first one, I would say, uh, I'm going to skip over it in this conversation, but do not skip over it if you're reading because there's so much good stuff in there. But I would say it was about laying the groundwork of becoming really comfortable with vintage and antique shopping. And then the second one is the second section is called how to shop. And just a little sidebar here for me, this is where people get overwhelmed and they tell me, you know, I just don't know. First of all, I don't know if it's a diamond in the rough or a piece of junk. And you and I are going to get into that. Like, how how do you get to decide, right? right. Um, or they'll say, I really like it, but mm, do I really need it? Where would I put it? You know, and so they, they just think they, they don't buy anything. And then they keep missing all of these opportunities to start bringing in the very pieces that will give them that layered, thoughtfully considered you know, collected over time feel that they want, you know, they come into my home and they say, Oh my gosh, where did you find that? And it's always, well, a thrift store or an antique store, or, you know, it wasn't a catalog. I can't give you a link to go buy it, but, but then they, they try to do that too. And, and it is so overwhelming that they just don't know what to pick. And so they don't pick anything. And so I think your third section of the book, which is how to style really helps us answer that question. But let's start with how to shop. It's a great section. And you basically pulled out some really key types of pieces to always be on the lookout for, as well as I would say key design elements, materials, let's say, you know, to to just consider like, well, if it's made of X, then it's timeless, it's going to work. So, so tell us about some of those, both the types of pieces to look out for, maybe some of the materials. Let's start there. Sure. So I think um, for me, I'm really interested in fashion. So I kind of approach the design of a room similarly. And I think if you don't know anything about design at all, you can approach it similarly as well. You know, you think of the clothes we buy and the clothes that are the most well-constructed and the most Mm. expensive or valuable. Those tend to be items made of nicer material and construction, right? Leather, 
silk, satin. Similarly, those are some of the materials you should be looking at in the home goods section of the thrift store. Mm -hmm. But then obviously there are bigger pieces. Marble is a big one. I mean, marble is timeless, really. Yes. But certainly we see sort of different colors pop up. I mean, lately, I think we're noticing lots more rich browns. And certainly in previous years, we've seen all that white marble, the Cabrera marble. So those are always good, uh, you know, materials to be on the lookout for because A, they're very pricey. Anything that's heavy, I would say it's good to look (laughs) for because those are items that that just tend to be pricey because of shipping. Um, And because they're made with good materials, right? That's why they're heavy. Right. And so, I mean, it stands to reason, like you were saying, if something's made of a nice material, it's probably more valuable and will stand the test of time because it's probably well-constructed. No one's going to spend a bunch of money on a piece of marble and then make something cheap out of it. Right. So um, I think, you know, leather, marble, silk, satin, different types of wood. I mean, darker wood, even the like blonde burled wood. Mm. And I mean, certainly there are, you know, rules are meant to be broken. And so sometimes, I mean, I've bought pieces that are not even real wood that are laminate burl and they're still really fabulous and fun. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about when you're in the store, kind of weighing those Mm. choices and, and asking yourself those questions. I mean, if it is a piece that's maybe not necessarily super, super valuable, if it still speaks to you and still resonates, I still think it's a worthy buy. Yeah. Well, you come back to that a lot. Like truly it's about what you love. Right. Right. I mean, the very last section of the book, when you talk about selling, buying for for resale, buying for value and knowing what to look for that way, that's one thing. But if you're really just buying for your home, you're always bringing us back to, if you, you have to love it, right? Don't right. just buy it because it, it, it's a good deal. One, right. if you don't love it, it's not a good deal. Or two, if just, if it's really, really expensive, but you really don't like it, then don't, don't bother. Um, so what about some of these pieces that are sort of your go-tos? Cause I have my own list of go-tos. Like I'm always looking for X or I'll always probably buy X if I happen to see it out in the wild. What are some of the ones that you share in the book? I mean, art is probably my number one thing that I buy. Uh, I'm an artist myself, so I love art, but I just feel like there's always a place to put it, even if there's not, because I can just switch out a painting, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is something I'm guilty of doing a lot of. Yeah. But I think art is such a good one to look for because A, art tends to be very expensive. A lot of us are priced out of buying art at, let's say, an art gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, B, every piece, as long as it's an original piece, it's going to be completely 100% unique. You're never going to see that piece again. Right. So if you see something that speaks to you and it doesn't just have to be a painting, it could be a sculpture, even a sculptural vase. Those are pieces that you just, uh, for me, it's really hard to leave behind because I know I will truly never see that piece again. Right. I think it's fun, you know, to think about where the art hung before and to maybe do some research if we're able to decipher the signature or if there's any markings on the back of the piece or if it's pottery on the bottom and figure out, you know, where the artist came from, what part of the country they were from, what their life was like. It sort of opens a new educational journey for you, I think. Yes. And and speaking of the education piece of it, I... I I loved that aspect of your book that you really talked about educating yourself, like you said, through the through the stamps on the bottoms of pottery or china or whatever, to undersides of cushions, to the signatures on the back of a piece of art or on the front. And it, to me, it made me feel like, yeah, we don't have to go get a, a master's degree in decorative design to really educate ourselves. And, right. and, and I mean, that, you know... It, it's just you. I mean, my gosh, we have Google. We can look up anything. It's Absolutely. right. And so I do feel like 
when you educate yourself even a little bit about what it is you're looking at, what its history is, you just feel more confident. You, you yeah. just, you do. And, and also I find in a lot of antique stores that I go into, they don't have to be high end. The people who are selling the things right on the tags, what the object was used for. Right. Sometimes you don't even know. And, and I just think all of that stuff is, is really helpful, but I digress. Um, there's a couple of other things that you that you talk about being on the lookout for um, based on sort of what styles you're drawn to. So like rattan is a big one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, objects made out of rattan. Um, faces you talk about. What, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Tell us about that, that motif, I guess, that you are always on the lookout for. Well, like I said, I love art and, you know, art is always unique. Everyone's face is very unique. So I love looking for busts. Um, mm. as I have, it's, it's briefly mentioned in the book, but I have a death mask, which yes. is actually very beautiful. I know that sounds to people who are not interested in antiques. It sounds like kind of an oddity, but it's really just a plaster cast of someone's face and it's mounted within a lucite box and it's on linen. It's really beautiful. And if you didn't yeah. know it was a death mask, you would just think it was just a beautiful sculpture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the death mask, the death mask makes it actually very cool too. I mean, it, oh, I agree completely. Yeah, it might not yeah. be everyone's taste, but I actually got that on the last day of an estate sale too. I think everyone else was kind of scared to go near it because oh, the tag funny. said death mask. Yes, but I mean, it's it's a really beautiful piece. But yeah, anything sort of any sort of body part really. I love hand things. I have right. feet, um, <laughs> you know, like a turquoise cast foot. That's really neat. But yeah, I love busts. And I think busts are something that we've seen in so many different eras of design. Right. So it's kind of fun to collect them and contrast all those different eras, right? I mean, certainly we have like the really vintage sort of Roman and Greek looking busts. But then, I mean, I have a couple postmodern sort of late 80s, early 90s, oh, with right. really angular, funky faces. And it's fun to sort of see those together and um, have them sort of in conversation in your home. Absolutely. And and that that is part of that styling piece. And uh, we're, we're going to talk more about that because I, I do think that that's, that's such a big part of knowing how to make the decision in the first place about whether or not you're going to buy someone is sort of having a little bit of a vision, even run where you're right in the store about why would it be interesting in your home? Kind of asking right. that question. But anyway, um, okay. Tell us about, you mentioned estate sales. You also mentioned live auctions, which are two things that a lot of people don't do. Uh, then of course, like I said, there's Brimfield, there's Roundtop, there's the big, huge antique fairs that are like miles long. Then there's your everyday thrift store. Then there's your high-end antique store and your lower-end antique store. In the how to shop section, and actually I think in the first section too, you kind of help us understand the lay of the land. Like why is antique shopping so different? How does it differ from regular shopping? I mean, why do we need to know these specifics about how to do this in the first place? Well, I think the biggest way it differs is the merchandising. Um, certainly this is true at a thrift store because there really isn't any merchandising, <laughs> you know, you they're display. Usually, yeah. yeah, display. Yeah. There's usually no, you know, it's staffed by volunteers. They get so many donations every right. day. They cannot keep up. Right. So everything you buy at a thrift store, I mean, it will be replaced by 10 things pretty quickly, but so it's different than going into an Ikea, right? Where mm-hmm. every room is a full room. So you can yeah. see exactly what the side table would look like because they have it next to a bed and under a lamp. 
in a thrift store, if you find a side table, it might be upside down and with a pile of clothes on it. So I think it's really important to have these tips and sort of be able to visualize what something would look like outside of the thrift store or antique mall, wherever it is you found it. I mean, sometimes if you can, I suggest actually taking an item and just moving it on its own, even if Mm. it's, you know, a plate you found, just picking it up and sort of holding it and visually copying and pasting it and thinking of what it would look like in my own home. Right. And also being able to point to think outside the box. I mean, there are so many pieces that I have that I have transformed either by getting it reupholstered or even just a painting. I, again, I love vintage paintings, but I don't always love vintage frames and vintage matting. And that's such a quick and easy way, especially with companies like Framebridge and Simply Framed. I mean, there's all these companies you can just send something off and they'll, they'll reframe it for, you know, pretty affordable price. It's so easy to transform a piece Mm -hmm. that way, but you have to be able to sort of see it, Mm -hmm. you know, in your mind, like what, what don't I, this is speaking to me, but I can't get past the matting. Okay. Might it, might it just look better in a different frame or if it's a mirror, maybe it would look better on its side or just upside down or something. The, the, the matting thing, that's a good point. Cause matting is, can date a piece so quickly and I date it in a bad way. Like, you know, you can, you can completely take it out of an era by taking it out of the mat and put it in a different era by getting rid of the mat altogether or putting in just a a white sleek mat, you know, whatever. So I, I, that's, that's a great, that's a great one. And what about estate sales and, and auctions? I mean, how do we not be intimidated by those? Well, (laughs) I think live auctions, it's really easy to be intimidated. (laughs) And my best advice for those is to just be confident and also, um, be confident that you will stick to your budget because I am a very competitive person. And so a live auction is a dangerous place for me or even a virtual auction, because if I want something and I get in a bidding war with someone at some point, it becomes, I just want to win it. (laughs) It's less about the item itself. Um, I think estate sales are a whole nother world of their own. I know in many parts of the country, a lot of the estate sale companies here will have a list. Yes. And you have to get on the list and there are different ways to get on the list. Either you have to show up at six in the morning and put your name on the list or go there the night before, or sometimes they'll hand out numbers. So the sale will start at 11, but they'll hand out numbers at 10. There's all, I mean, there's really wild, weird rules and they all differ per estate sale company. So for that one, I think it's best to just figure out who's holding the sale and maybe call them or check their website and see what their rules are. Number one, is there a list? Because if you can get on a list, that's sort of the easiest way to, you know, ensure that you can get something. Right. And by list, just to clarify, you mean, you mean uh, there's a list of the order in which people can enter the home. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's like standing in line. It's like putting your name on the list at a restaurant. Right. Right. And down here, this is Florida. So we have an aging population. It's a transplant population. So there are a lot of estate sales here. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just one way to ensure that it's not too many people in the house at once. You know, some of them will say we're only allowing 30 people in at a time, but there's a hundred people in line. So if you get there and you're not on the list and you're at the very, very end, A, you might end up being at the house for over an hour just waiting to get in. And B, when you get in, you might not really see anything 
yeah. that's left over. That's left, exactly. <laughs> so so just just for everyone listening, the book, it, she she breaks down all these different kinds of places that you can find things. And you even give them sort of beginner, adv- me, uh, intermediate and right. advanced kind of, kind of tag, right? So that we know, like, <laughs> if you're really new to this, this is where to start. If you've been doing it for a while, go ahead and move on to the more advanced. Right. <laughs> Before we continue with the conversation, I want to jump in here for a minute and introduce you to my slow style approach to creating a home you love. Just like it sounds, slow style means taking your time and letting your home evolve by responding to what's going on in the rest of your life and reflecting who you are and who you want to become. Now, I know that sounds really abstract, but I don't want you to think that slow style means you're just waiting around for inspiration to strike. I know you need practical, hands-on ways to actually develop your signature style. And that's what I'm passionate about, taking the mystery out of creative thinking when it comes to design and helping you define what your dream home actually looks like. And the best way to start is to get really clear on what your style is. Now, I'm not talking about style categories like I'm farmhouse or I'm boho. I'm talking about a one-of-a-kind definition that is very specific to who you are. And we've got a blueprint that will help you do just that. It's our free style guide. I'll walk you through some questions and get you thinking about how you want to show up in your home. Just go to littleyellowcouch.com and click on the free style guide button right there on the homepage. I can't wait to see what you come up with. And I'm going to ask you, so don't be surprised when we start having a back and forth conversation about your home. I'm all in and I hope you are too. All right, let's get back to the episode. The last section, no, sorry, not the last section, second to last section of the book is how to style. First of all, you say something I really loved, which is you differentiate between a home that is decorated and a room that is styled. Tell us what you mean by that. I think especially with social media and websites like Pinterest and Instagram and even you know, how we saw decorators in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, many of us think of a decorated, well-decorated home as a place where nothing is out of place. That to me is decorated. You know, everything is maybe a little more matchy. It doesn't necessarily look like someone lives there. Um, (laughs) Styled to me is more comfortable. It's more you, whatever you is. It's maybe collected over time. That's something else that I really wanted to get across in my book. You know, your home does not have to be decorated after one trip to the thrift store or the antique mall. That's what a decorator would do. They would decorate your home in one fell swoop or or a home stager or something. And certainly there are reasons to go those routes. But for me, I'm interested in a home that evolves with time because my tastes evolve with time. And there are things I'm interested in now that maybe I didn't care about a year ago. Um, So yeah, to me, style is more lived in, more comfortable. We'll be back after a quick break. I assume you're here because you want a -a one-of-a-kind, personality-filled home, right? Well, in order to have that, you need to define and develop your signature style. When you do that, you're going to understand how to mix what you already have with new things you find, focusing on who you are and what you love, putting it all together in a cohesive way. So what's stopping you? 
Well, let me know if this sounds about right. Not enough time, not enough money, and a lack of creativity or design knowledge, which makes you feel overwhelmed and insecure about pulling the trigger and changing things up. This is why I created the Slow Style Society, to help you take action on making your dream home a reality. It's part social club for people who like to just geek out on design and part hands-on learning experience where you get better and better at making decor decisions for each room in your home. And for the next few weeks, I'm offering all new members an additional one-on-one style session with yours truly. So I'll take you through the lessons so you know exactly what to focus on inside the Slow Style Framework in what order, and you'll have a personalized support system from me to get you there. Go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society so we can get started right away. Let's not wait for that imaginary perfect time to create your beautiful, meaningful home. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society. Okay, back to the episode. The overtime piece is big with me. Uh, People who listen know that my approach, I call it slow style because it's slow. It goes, it's overtime. And I just, I loved your, your distinction of it. And I was interested in that as well um, to, to try to help describe what, what we're talking about, because I think that people, not everybody, but a lot of people are drawn to photos of rooms like yours. And by the way, are all of the photos in the book your home? Yes. So I actually sold my home midway through writing the book. So it's either my home or my condo, which I bought after. Oh, cool. Okay. So that, that was really interesting to me um, that because another way to do this book would be to photograph a lot of other people's homes that also do a lot of other thrifting. But I I felt like it was very personal because I assumed we were seeing your home throughout, which is just really cool. Cause I just felt like you were really able to tell us your thought process behind how you styled things, how you bought things, how you mix things together. Um, Anyway, you start this section off with getting, with, with getting us in the mindset of a designer. And you talk about how confidence is, is like the secret ingredient, right. To finding your style, getting better. I mean, I think that's what we assume designers all have. That's why we hire them. They have confidence and we don't. But you and I, I think we're on the same page here, would say that confidence comes from practice, from yes. moving things around, from trying out different layouts and mixes of styles. It, it doesn't have to come from knowing the quote unquote rules. Right. Um, so, so what are some of the things uh, that a designer takes into consideration as they're eyeing a space and starting to think about what to put in there? Yeah. So I think the biggest sort of way most designers will approach a room is in terms of the layers. You know, there's a foundation that might be the rug or all the larger pieces in a room, like the furniture, and then they sort of layer accessories on top of that. But it's also layering patterns and textures, and it's playing with both balance and tension. And those are things, I think balance is something that we saw so much of in the nineties where everything was about symmetry. And I think we're starting to sort of see a little bit of a push against that, which I really like, Mm -hmm. especially when you're shopping vintage, Mm. because not everything has to be a matching pair. Um, In fact, it's hard to find a matching pair sometimes. It's very hard, which is, (laughs) which is why maybe I rebel against that. Right. Right. Just working with what I get. Right. But um, for instance, in my bedroom, 
you know, I wanted to approach the space like a designer, but using the vintage pieces I have. So I have matching side tables on either side of the bed and I wanted lamps for either side of the bed, but I didn't find matching ones, but instead I got two very different, but, um, equally beautiful lamps that sort of complement each other. Well, one is, uh, sort of this black and white round paper, Noguchi lamp. It's really interesting. It has little tiny thin legs. And then there's on the other side of the bed, a more postmodern, very angular black lamp. Um, and those work together because they're both black. They both kind of share similar lines, but they're totally different. I mean, if you mm-hmm. saw them in a store, you wouldn't necessarily buy them together. Right. So I think that's when it's important to think like a designer in terms of you want things to have cohesiveness and you want them to make sense. And, you know, would these two things be friends in real life? How would they communicate? Right. In real life? That's how I like to think of things, but they don't have to be necessarily matchy matchy. Yeah. And, and, and a store to your point, a store would not put them together. They right. wouldn't, they're not going to show you what they look like together. You have to have that kind of imagination right. yourself. And I think that your book in this, how to style section gets into a lot of that. Um, let's go back to the thing that I was saying earlier. When I have taken people antiquing with me, they'll, they'll pick up a few things and I can see that they, their, their stomach is turning over with butterflies, right? right. But they'll put it down because there's another part of their brain that sort of admonishes them, you know, that says, what will you do with that? Where would you put that? How would you use that? And and I think that's where their creative thinking gets cut off. So how would you advise someone when they're right in the moment? Maybe they're slightly overwhelmed, in some sort of big antique, smaller flea market, and they found something they love, but they have no idea if, how, why, when they would use it. So, so, can you coach us through the thought process that gets that person back to thinking creatively so they don't pass up a fabulous quirky piece that they love? Well, I think the most important thing is if you absolutely adore it and it's within your price point, and usually at thrift stores, it absolutely is, then you should buy it. Obviously, this is a very different conversation if we're talking about a brimfield or a round top, which is also full of beautiful things, but sometimes in a little bit more of a, a higher price range. So, but secondly, I would advise someone to think, just sort of ask yourself, what might you do with it? If it's a piece of art, is there a wall space? Maybe that's empty now that it would work on. Maybe you have art hung, but this would look good next to it or near it. Could you do a gallery wall? If it's a piece of furniture, I think it's always important to just think outside the box. Um, I'll give you an example in my own home. I have a coffee table that I'm not in love with. I bought it at auction. It's it's beautiful, but it's kind of too small for the space. Mm-hmm. And so I really needed a coffee table. But if you go thrifting, you'll know that you can't just walk in a thrift store and find the perfect coffee table. It's something that will take many months. So I ultimately found this really fabulous ottoman it's really round. I mean, it's almost as round and large as my dining table. And it's looks like a circle, but you can actually pull the two pieces apart. So it's like a yin and a yang. And it's in this hideous uh, upholstery, of course. (laughs) So, but it was $40, which is like, wow, my car really. So I didn't have to, you know, hire any movers or rent a U-Haul or something, which I'm not opposed to and have done before. Um, (laughs) I'm sure. So I knew that this, this was something that would work 
for my coffee table space, right? I mean, that's comfortable. I can put my feet up on it and watch Netflix, um, but it's also solid enough that I can put stacks of books or candles or whatever on it. So I think that's that's a good way to sort of approach thrifting and vintage shopping in general is thinking, well, what might I be able to use this for? I mean, a bench, for instance, benches work as coffee tables. Benches can work on the foot of your bed. So I think it's always just important to think of, of maybe I think I don't have space for this, but I actually might if I just sort of go in my head room by room and think, oh, you know what? Actually, I do have that empty space and this might work there. I think it's interesting when people come across something that is, I'm going to make something up here, so I'm not sure my example is going to be very good, but very Lily Pulitzer, right? Very, very preppy, very of Martha's Vineyard kind of kind of look colorful and all that stuff and nothing else in their home is like that right nothing they 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 have they've stuck to a muted color palette and they don't live anywhere near Martha's Vineyard and they you know or or Southern California right because Lily Pulitzer kind of go that Palm Beach Palm Springs right um so so they don't they're, they're they're so confused I don't why would I buy this I don't have anything like it in my home and sometimes they shouldn't buy it. And I'm not saying you should always buy everything and neither right. are you. But what would you say to them to encourage them about, well, this is how you might bring it into your home. Maybe maybe you should bring it into your home. Yeah. Maybe the fact that you don't have anything like that is telling you something. Yeah. I mean, I would say in that example, certainly maybe that's a signal that the taste, the the aesthetic in your home isn't really your aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you designed your home based off of what you saw in um, Veranda Magazine or right. what you saw your favorite influencer on Instagram. That's, I always call it 50 shades of beige because I see so many influencers now doing these muted shades and they're beautiful. But at a certain point when I'm scrolling, it's like, I can't even tell whose house this is. They yeah. all look the same. Right, and it right. always makes me wonder, is that, actually what resonates with them or are they just doing it because they saw someone with a million followers doing it so I think if you reach for something that seems really outside your comfort zone but you find that it really resonates with you right maybe you should bring it home and maybe you should start adding more of that to your home in small or large doses because maybe that's really kind of who you are you just didn't realize it you're making it sound very exciting I mean and I think this is what (laughs) you're talking about about evolving right you change right you change. Absolutely. And, and, and also it would be so interesting. And you mentioned this about things being in conversation with each other, like the two lamps that you were talking about by your bed. What, what would this Lily Pulitzer type? Um, I don't know, Missoni, you know, let's do a different kind of wild and crazy colorful designer. What would that vase look like next to, you know, your very traditional candlesticks that your grandmother had when right. passed down to you? I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, I, I think it takes practice, um, but I I think that that is actually the fun part is practicing because I'm a geek like that. And I think you are a geek too, if you don't mind my saying I so. am. <laughs> and I think that's where the magic happens. I write about this in the book, but I think when you have everything in a room from one decade or one era or one aesthetic, it starts to look a little bit like a movie set, right? Almost like if you're wearing an entirely vintage outfit and it's all from the same era, it looks like a bit like a costume. Whereas if you mix people up, it looks like, oh, that person just has incredible taste and style. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I love any kind of analogy that involves like a dinner party or a cocktail party and different people (laughs) being there. (laughs) 
before we wrap up, I want to ask you, what's the one thing you really hope people get from this book? I think the biggest thing I hope people get from this book is that you can absolutely find all of the amazing pieces that you see at really high-end antique malls and antique shows, you know, those high-end ticketed antique shows. You might go to those and it feels very stuffy and it feels very exclusive and it feels like this is not for me and everything is so expensive. All of those people probably got that stuff at a thrift store or an estate sale and you can absolutely find it too. And -hmm. you just sort of need to have the confidence and the know-how to seek out these pieces and just to bring something wacky home, like the Lily Pulitzer (laughs) chair that you never knew you needed, just have the confidence to bring that home. And I think you can find these things. It's not not everything you find is going to be an antiques roadshow piece, of course, but some of them likely will be. And the reason is you've done not homework, but you've done fun research. You've looked on Cherish and First Dibs and Pinterest, and you've looked so often that one day you go into a store and you see something and you're like, oh my gosh, I saw that on Cherish two weeks ago. And it's, you know, a $5,000 armchair and I'm getting $10. Um, Right. I talk about a couple of pieces like that in the book that I found. And wait, I forgot. I was I just going to say, I, wait, I never, I never brought you back to my very first oh, right. question, which was <laughs> tell it, like, give us a story, your favorite score. And you've got yeah. several of these stories in the book. So let, we won't ruin it by telling them all, but give us, give us one. Well, my favorite is my Goyard trunk. Um, <laughs> I got that. My grandmother and I were estate sailing one day and we had had really good luck at the estate sale. And so we were heading home. But we got stuck in traffic and we saw a little store on the side of the road that said Old Wicker. I think that's what the name of the store was. Okay. And so we we pulled in and we didn't see anything in the store, but the shopkeeper said, make sure you check out the shed out back before you leave. And so we walked out back and there was indeed a little shed and I turned the corner in the shed and I saw this trunk and I knew what it was immediately because Goyer is a brand that's very familiar with to me, it's, um, you know, this storied French luggage brand. It's uh-huh. very rare to find even the new pieces. I mean, they don't have any online presence. You can't buy anything Goyard online. You can only get it at a Goyard store of which there are only a handful in the world. So <laughs> I saw it and I'm like, okay, that's, a did you stop toy. breathing? Like I'm, I'm I, not breathing I right screamed. now. Like <laughs> I audibly screamed and my grandmother was like, okay, be quiet. She didn't even know what it was yet. She's just like, you're letting everyone know that there's something good. So the tag said old trunk, $90. <laughs> and so then I'm like, okay, is this like a fake, even right. if it's fake, like a trunk for $90 right. is pretty good. Um, so we loaded it in the car very, very quickly. And we, we did ask the shopkeeper about it. She said um, a woman had got it in her attic, which of course we were like, who is the woman? Yes. Where, is the Where attic? does she live? <laughs> Please. Um, and I brought it home and I, I had it authenticated and it is indeed a photo wow. trunk. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. Virginia, I could talk to you forever about this stuff. And I think I've said it several times now during this conversation about, well, this is also in the book and, oh, well, the, check this out. But it's really true, guys. I mean, th- this is this book is really packed with a lot of helpful stuff that we are just not covering at all. Um, but I do need to wrap up. So I want to ask you my signature question, which is why does style matter? Style matters because... 
I think as the past few years have shown our homes and what we wear and what we put on our walls and what we put in our beds are pieces of our lives that are not just sort of a refuge, but um, for many of us, our homes are our schools, there are gyms, there are workplaces, certainly (laughs) more and more over the past few years. So we should surround ourselves with things that make us really happy, things that distract us maybe from the outside world, things that are just beautiful and beautiful can be certainly whatever you think it is to you. I I just think homes should make us happy and, and your style, whether it's your personal style, what you wear, what you outfit your home in, it should just make you happy. Absolutely. You got it. I agree completely. I'm sure everyone listening is agreeing with you, nodding their heads right now. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. And I love the book. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I, I loved chatting with you. Okay. I hope that was helpful and inspiring. Do check out our website, littleyellowcouch.com, where you can see photos and links from this episode, learn about my slow style approach to design, and grab your free style guide to get you started on your signature style today. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. Have a great day and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now.